Hey there, folks. Just wanted to jump in before we start the show proper and give a shout out to our sponsor on this episode of Just Your Tracking. And it is, uh, again, our friends over at the Criterion Collection. And just wanted to highlight a couple specific Blu-ray releases. Always get excited about uh, what they put out every month. And this uh, this past one was no different. Uh, I will finally get to see Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence, a film I've always wanted to catch up with. And, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, supposed to be a great another great performance of his. Um, looking forward to seeing that. And also, uh, finally catching up with uh, a silent film classic, The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Uh, can't wait to watch this one in this Blu-ray restoration. So we thank Criterion for supporting uh, this episode and other episodes of Adjuster Tracking. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Offen. What was that mumble? What's your name, sir? Repeat. I'm Joe Von Offen. <laughs> You're the one that's drinking right that's, now. That's true. We're evening recording. I'm in a sweater and I've got a, I got a little whiskey, dude. But I think I said my shit crystal clear. I know how to say my name, Joe. Did you're because you, you're probably overcompensating, and I'm just like I'm, you know slouching into depressions I'm like i'm just up but it doesn't matter who, who i am no one's listening life has no meaning that's not true no. at all that's not true at Fuck all. It. um joe you well you're no. acting drunk because you're the actor out of out of both of us that makes it's sense true. i find that if i do impersonate someone drunk for too long it does start to actually physically affect me yeah like, like you oh. can't drive yeah, I can't hold a coherent conversation without talking loud and slow at someone. Well, we'll see if after drinking my glass of whiskey by the end of this episode, if I'm really drunk. I don't think so. Uh, it's only yeah. the first one of the evening, but uh, let let you know. It's, it could. We're gonna. We got shit to talk about, so who knows? It could go True. on. So today, unfortunately, <laughs> listeners, we're gonna. I'm gonna do it again and uh, talk to you about how you know. There was a, a certain type of movie that used to exist. A variety used to, you know, be at work that seems to have been systematically squeezed out of the theatrical going experience. And like there was a just a type of movie, like a a, a smaller to mid level um, thriller that used to exist. They used to do quite well. Like in the 1990s, you had lots of movies, lots of yuppie thrillers like Pacific Heights and uh Hand That Rocks the Cradle directed by Curtis Hansen that, you know, his Ooh. uh one of his earlier efforts we're going to be talking about on a segment of Hold Up today, but like he he was somebody who was like a a real craftsman in terms of like thrillers and like modest thrillers and those movies could be hits oftentimes. And so we're going to talk about three different thrillers um uh, one of which I just mentioned, Bad Influence, Curtis Curtis Hansen's film from 1990, starring James Spader and Rob Lowe. Mm-hmm. And we will also be discussing Steven Soderbergh's new effort, Unsane, shot entirely on an iPhone. And um, Gemini, directed by Aaron Katz, which is his like loving ode to his new home of Los Angeles, uh, a kind of neo-noir movie, a meditation on thrillers of a bygone era and um how you know like 
how this type of like film is like it's it's hard to find like in in theaters nowadays and luckily two of them are you know in in theaters this uh this weekend or unsane opened last weekend but uh it did um gemini is going to be opening around the country after a you know good solid festival run and um i think this friday gemini is like limited release so like maybe the major places new york right. and la and okay then- yeah it's coming out New York and LA, and then it, it's opening at Cinema Twenty One eventually. The, the next week we get it, and actually Aaron okay. Katz, who used to live in Portland for a while, is sort of sometimes associated as a former Portland filmmaker, whatever you want to call it. He will he'll be there for a couple shows, and then we're doing like double features and, and whatnot. So that's always exciting. And he's a filmmaker you and I have. Um, I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast before necessarily, but I know we've talked about given some of his earlier work specifically. Uh, a movie like Cold Weather and stuff like that. So um, it'll be fun to 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 definitely dive into Gemini because I feel like I don't, I'm not going to bury the lead. It's like a big step up for him in many mm-hmm. many exciting ways. Um, so that'll yeah. be that'll be fun to get to. So you've laid out the three movies. The uh, you've at least hinted or discussed in somewhat the uh, the connective tissue between these, but. I'm going to I'm going to just force your hand like I, I, I wanted to do this off mic. Uh, let's just start with Unsane if we can, because I feel like I of have course. Yeah. it's it's out. People have had a chance to see it. Not that we need to be spoilery, but um, it's going to just be a small movie at the box office. But it is a low budgeted movie, as you said, and uh, yeah. I'm sure it's doing just fine. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's out there. We've seen it. Um, Steven Soderbergh is just a super fascinating filmmaker, yeah. which is why I see anything he I can that he puts out. Yet he's been so prolific of late that I haven't even been able to keep up because he has this show on HBO called Mosaic that uh-huh. was, that was an app you could download and sort of watch it in the order you wanted to. Um, I plan to watch. put me off. Yeah, I know. I can I can feel you rolling your eyes over over the mic line for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, but I want to watch the HBO version because I hear it's sort of uh, Sharon Stone is in it and I haven't seen her in a while. And uh, we talk about yuppie thrillers. I mean. Sharon, yeah. Sharon Stone in the early 90s was sort of the queen of a version of that kind of movie, a like Paul Verhoeven psychosexual version, you know? Yeah, so basically it's stinked. Sliver. Yes, God. And there, I feel like there's more. I mean, part of her role in Total Recall has elements of that. The movie is not that kind of movie, obviously. No. But uh, that was like a tryout for, I guess, for Verhoeven or something. But, uh, sure. but anyway... Um, Soderbergh is an interesting filmmaker. He's very prolific. I, I want to catch up on the second season of The Nick, which is a show I really like that he did. And he at one point was retired. And I think a lot of noise gets made between people like us that maybe pay too much attention to movie news. And a lot gets talked about. But I think he just he gets interested and works on TV for a while. He takes breaks. But he's always sort of busy. And here he is. He made a movie last year I liked called Logan Lucky. But now Unsane is just this other He's constantly showing different sides of himself as a filmmaker. And um, having said all that, Unsane certainly feels like something new, but also along the lines of those other sort of B-movie efforts he's made in the past. Uh, I I personally think of like Haywire or Side Effects, Contagion, stuff like that. But um, what did you think? Because I'm not sure how you felt about this movie. I thought... um for one, like uh, Steven Soderbergh was somebody we cited as like, you know, he kind of was one of the main spokespeople when we started talking about the state of the industry, those talks that we can't seem to stop having, but, uh, 
he was somebody who was really rallying for you know the variety to stay intact in in filmmaking that like people would still have you know different types of movies to to go to because like the spectacle oriented kind of vacuous studio product that he was afraid was going to just dominate seems to be doing just that and yeah. so like he 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 was like a champion of mid-level smaller movies artier movies but he was actually you know he is somebody who is kind of like a a worker in terms of being able to to put out kind of you know genre movies usually with like a stylistic angle you know like he'll he'll do like a revenge movie like the limey and have it be told out of sequence or he'll do you know kind of a, a paranoid um psycho thriller like unsane and have it be all shot with an iphone which like i don't know what it it didn't ultimately distract enough from the movie to be a detriment, sure. but it, it didn't like, it didn't add a great sense of urgency to it. And it was just like, you know, I know he knows how to make a movie look good. So it's just like, I think enough of the movie works in terms of like the premise of a woman getting kind of wrongfully, uh, committed into an institution through a misunderstanding and then trying to piece together like, well, is, do we have a reliable narrator essentially is that, are we following her kind of like crumbling sanity and her instability and that, like, I think that the thrust of that is strong enough that you could just make a conventionally shot movie um, I think ultimately the movie kind of like stumbles towards a conclusion and it gets less interesting in the last leg of it. Um, Cause I think it's got like a, a relatively strong ensemble. And I, I guess all I'm meaning uh, by that is that Jay Farrow is really good in this. And I think that he, he is <laughs> he's great. like, a, he's really charming as like the only voice of insanity in a mental institution. And him and what's Claire the Foy, name? Claire Foy mm-hmm. from, from the crown. The, the yeah, Claire Foy. Uh, but the other the other mental patient that like oh, antagonized Juno, Juno Temple, man, fucking typecast. <laughs> yeah, poor lady. She's yeah. good though. Yeah, she gives it her all. I I just am sort of like I feel bad for her. She's just getting typecast in these same play the some variation on a crazy girl. That's just what she does. I don't yeah. know. What about this time? What's different? Cornrows. Okay, great. Um, it <laughs> it's her panic room. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds good. um but yeah like i understand if there's like a you know i think movies like this oftentimes because we're in such there is such a deficit in terms of like what's available to us at any given time if a movie is even functional in any sense um in terms of like what it's trying to pull pull off it's just like such a breath of fresh air to get a different type of movie that you're like ah that's fine that's it did its best like eh, it kind of falls apart in the last like leg of it like it's okay i don't care this was at least like a different like i think you know recent movies a lot of which like you and i have gone to see and like haven't necessarily talked about on mic but like game night you didn't see it yet but like mm-hmm. I was thrilled by how good that was. And like, if you showed that to me four years ago, I don't know. Like I was like, it was good. Like I would have been kind of like shruggy about it, but because there isn't like a lot of adult centered, you know, like R rated comedies used to be like pretty common and they still do churn them out. But like ones that work used to be so common that you would get to be blase about them (laughs) or like a shitty slasher movie like this, strangers pray at night 
one of the shittiest subtitles in a while. It's but, a bad uh, subtitle. Not a bad movie, though, dude. Not not a great movie either, but it no. was like it was elevated so drastically because there just isn't much like it anymore. And if it if there is stuff like either one of them, they're relegated to streaming services and they just sort of drown in a glut of other titles, you know, and like, yeah, there's um, I probably shouldn't even bring it up because I have neither one of us have seen it, but like there's a movie written by the guy that wrote cheap thrills. He wrote and directed this new movie. That's like a Tinder thriller, like a Tinder erotic thriller called bad match. It's apparently supposed to be pretty good. And it was like on Netflix now streaming. And it was just like, no one saw this movie. No one knows this movie exists. Um, But like I, one of the programmers in town like told me about it because it was playing once a night like for a week here Mm -hmm. and uh so it's just like stuff like that is just like it's either a blip theatrically or no one knows what it is Mm -hmm. and so it's just like you know when a movie like unsane comes along and there's like you have someone at the helm like steven soderbergh who knows what they're doing claire foy is like very strong as the lead and it's like it's not it's not great, but it's like, I was happy to have seen something different, you know? And I like got out yeah. of the screen. A bit. I was like, that was fine. And it's but a was, film for adults, you know, let's, let's, yeah, that's what I mean. Yep. Like that yep. it's, it's a, it's an adult centric kind of like plays with themes, has ideas, you know, has like atmosphere and nuance. It's made and- with a purpose. It has it has a way it wants to tell its story, which is like partially with the iPhone, but I think I mostly agree with you there of like the iPhone is fine. It didn't it's not to the movie's detriment. I think the the most interesting thing I can kind of drum up about the fact that Soderbergh used the the iPhone to shoot on saying is that he uses an original aspect ratio. This is super geeky, but because I'm showing this movie at work, I know it. It's like yeah a one five six to one ratio. So it's like between what are typical ones, like the old fashioned one, three, three, and then the more European one, six, six. That's interesting. So it's like the movie has an interesting boxy look to it. Yeah. Um, and I think he makes boxy. use of that. Uh, what's that? Boxy. That's just doesn't sound flattering. <laughs> oh, well, I actually like that, but yeah, you're right. Maybe that's not the, the best way to describe kind of fat, kind of heavy set. Oh, okay. <laughs> a little big bone, this movie, a little big bone. It, it, what I like is claustrophobic. Let's use that, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's trying to close you in and at the best moments in this movie, even though it does kind of come near the final third, which I agree the movie sort of falls apart specifically in the very end for me, or it, it, I don't know that we'll get to that, I guess, but um, there's a moment as it's sort of culminating and climaxing where a long sequence takes place in a, a padded room. And I think the uh-huh. way that that is blocked, like I started thinking about like, this is what Soderbergh will do for me when I'm even just casually enjoying a movie of his where I'm like, Oh, it's really interesting the way this is like blocked out and he keeps changing from behind one person's perspective to the other characters and the cameras roving. And he makes use of a very, tight claustrophobic space and that's sort of all the visuals in his style working in concert to really like grab me at that point in the movie but um uh, we should also say joshua leonard the guy from blair witch project and hump day he's really good in this movie too even though he's got kind of a thankless role as a very what's that should we say that oh that he's in it 
No, that you're like, we should say that he's pretty good in this. Like, you, should we? Oh, Not sure. You, interesting. You, you didn't like his performance. I, I thought he was good. I guess he had sort of a thank. Well, he had a thankless part because it's so. I think he had hard work cut out for him. It's like, a cliched character. Even the look. How, right? Yeah. How the role was written was like really hard to play convincingly. And he went for it. And I, so, yeah, I, I shouldn't just, you know, like. It's not a disparaging comment to the performance, but it was like it was a little like be, the more he becomes a like outspoken character towards the conclusion of the movie. Yeah, yeah. The the more wobbly the actual narrative itself gets, so it's kind of hard to like separate the two. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it's not as like dramatically effective. Like once he starts talking, I guess. There's also I wonder if this is. By design, that's probably not. I'm probably looking into it too much. But Claire Foy, I think, is so much better uh, of an actor, I guess, that in that scene I'm referring to where he does have a breakdown, it's in that padded room. He really does go for it, but she just seems like to outmatch him. And in a way, that's kind of the dynamic between the characters is that he may or may not be this stalker from her past and she's yeah. he's beneath her. And she's sort of, you, you get moments in her life where you get glimpses, especially in the beginning, but near the end where she thinks a lot of people are beneath her and she's, she's sort of a corporate ladder climber, but also has to deal with a lot of like skeevy dudes in her life. And um, I, I, he's, he's fine. I guess I was glad to see him, you know, like those actors from the Blair Witch Project, you don't see them very often, but uh, he's the one that pops up the most, I guess. It's not as bad as like, uh, it's a terrible movie. Stanley Tucci in the lovely bones. It's not as like that bad of a cliched, like stalker pedophile murderer characters, but it verges on that sometimes, I guess. Yeah. um, I think that there's, there's also, there was something kind of like, you know, I, I guess not, we we shouldn't get spoilery, but there's uh right. There's something nice about how the movie commits to the reality eventually. Cause I think like, even though the narrative thrust is at its strongest, when you're not sure what is exactly going on, mm-hmm. like when things become clear, it, it then makes a statement that's like pretty, necessarily crucial to our times where it's like, she's not paranoid. She's not mistaken. Like she's in danger. She's being threatened by a predatory man. And it's like, that's a statement that like is horrifically relevant to our times that it's just like, no, these people are not mistaken. They're being victimized. They're being like hunted and harassed. And it's just like, this behavior needs to be confronted and dealt with. You know, and so just to be like, is she crazy? Is she not to actually double down and be like, nope, she's not crazy. I think it's like a sort of compelling statement to make um, for, you know, social relevance at the moment. And I think it it like it it pays off in a in a genre payoff kind of a way. Definitely. Um, and I just I think that like stuff like that gives gives it a boost, you know, and it just made for like a. <laughs> a just fine experience <laughs> like leave theater. So like I def, I definitely didn't, I would, I would recommend this movie. Honestly. Um, I didn't like it very much, but I would say the same thing because I've had fun talking about it, not just with you, but like other people I saw at the yeah. theater have seemed to like it more than me or take more from it. And even what you just said, I really like, because I think in many ways, this is Soderbergh trying to almost, attempt uh, a social thriller in the realm of get out like what Jordan Peele was trying to do super low low budget social thriller 
horror movie, and he's a, uh, on record as being a huge fan of Get Out. I think it was his favorite movie of last year. He's very uh, vocal yeah. on social media uh, and, and said that. So um, it's not going to catch the zeitgeist in any way like Get Out, but what movies, few movies really do. But I right. I guess I guess with you, like, it's fair enough. Like, in a way, you're kind of saying, hey, you just appreciated that this movie's out there. It's not awful by any means. I would recommend people go see it, too. But um, I'm glad that movies like this are getting made, and that's probably a ripple effect from the massive success of something like Get Out. And um, so be it. You know, Soderbergh, well, I can't wait to see what he does next. And with a guy like him, for me, it's like, I'll just, you know, maybe the next movie or the second movie after that will, like, be something I, I love again. But um, he's he's fascinating. I love that he's out there, like, doing what he's doing. So I think he's good for movies, uh, for, for sure. Yeah, he's, he's somebody that's so active. And even though he took a hiatus, like, he's so prolific that you forget that he's responsible for a lot of the movies he's responsible for. Like, you'll start thinking of him in a certain lane. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, he made those movies. And he's like, yeah, but he also made these movies. And you're like, oh, right. He fucking did those, too. You know, right, like, like, as weird as it is that he shot it on an iPhone, it's like, well, he did those movies like Bubble and uh, The Girlfriend Experience that are almost the same idea, but like 10 years ago, right? You know? Yeah. But he also made Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky, and Out of Sight, and just like all kinds of and Sex Lies and Videotape with bad influences, James Spader. Oh, so, nice. You know, it's nice. Won an Oscar. Plug, plug, he won an Oscar for directing Traffic, you know? Like, he's an Oscar yeah. winner. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, I would say deserved. The second movie of that year, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic came out in the same year. Yeah, he beat himself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry to bother you. I'm a big fan of Heather's. You're her assistant, right? Yeah. I just, I had to come up and say hello. Heather, 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 Heather. Hey, Heather. Yeah, how's the love life? Huh? I got nothing to tell you, Sam. Do you have alcohol at your place? Why are we here? You have a gun, right? I feel like there's so many crazy people who are mad at me right now. You know how to shoot a gun? How many movies have I shot guns in? Two. You know how you were saying you don't feel safe? I feel like that all the time. In a similar kind of like, in you know, the, the indie world that Steven Soderbergh came out of, you know, with his uh, view of sex lies and videotape and transitioning into, you know, bigger bigger movies like Aaron Katz was a small filmmaker. We talked about his movie cold weather. It was kind of like a, it's like a detective movie sort of Um, cold weather came out uh, around the time that the slanderous term mumblecore was in, uh, was coming into full effect. And um, now that he's, he's made uh, land ho, uh, which I never saw. And now, uh, his, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's thrillingly fine. And it's, then now he's got uh, his new film, Gemini, which everybody speaks articulately and nobody's mumbling. And um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it's set in L.A. and beautifully, sh- you know, shoots L.A. oftentimes at night. And it's like a, a kind of moody neo noir, um, just a meditation on like a a, a, ki- a kind of crime and crime film and thriller that like doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. the same way like drive was a stylish uh, you know a, a tone poem and style meditation 
on like heist movies. Uh, like that's what this feels like with like kind of mid-level thrillers. And I remember we, we decided to pair um, our discussion of Gemini with a hold up segment for bad influence because, you know, bad influence uh, Aaron Katz cited as a, a big, like visual influence on, on Gemini. And I like saw it when I went to, I saw it at AFI fest and I was like, this looks like bad influence. Like the way the buildings are shot, the way the types of buildings he chose to shoot in, like oftentimes there's like big similarities to like the, the visuals and bad influence. So I thought it as I was watching it and um, during the Q and a, they're like, well, what were some big, big, you know, like things you were watching and like letting kind of inform your, your vision of this. And he's like, well, I was watching a lot of, you know, like thrillers from the nineties, like, you know, like almost blurted bad influence out. And he's like, bad influence. And, uh, you know, like other Curtis Hanson movies, like bedroom window. And I think he said Pacific Heights, which is like a Michael Keaton, Matthew Modine, uh, yuppie thriller set in San Francisco. And, did, um, did Hanson do that one or, or no? No, I can't. I can't remember who did that one, but uh, nice. it was just around the same time that, like, you know, yuppies were concerned. And now, th- I guess this is like the hipster thriller, which, like, I cringe when I use the fucking word because it's so useless at this point. Because <laughs> hipster is like essentially just a new fangled yuppie. You know, it's just like a lifestyle obsessed person. Um, and so, in this, in Gemini. I shouldn't use derogatory terms like hipster or yuppie, but um, let's try we have a personal assistant who um, is our, our main character who works for like a young actress who's very popular. Um, and it starts off in a sort of like, you know, kind of the narcotic haze of like a credit sequence that's like shooting palm trees from upside down and like the movie has like a nice kind of like languid quality to it with this creeping unease sort of like coming into it. And, um, we, it's an entry point of like the personal assistant is feeling all these calls from people who are furious at this actress. And so like, first we start off with like, you know, they're sort of jokingly playing around with people who want to kill her. And then, um, the the two just sort of like we follow their rapport and their dynamic through a kind of like energetic night in LA. Um, and you know, it's uh the main characters are Lola Burke. Lola um, Kirk. Plays, is it Kirk or Burke? Uh, Kirk. Yeah. She was in Mistress America and uh, she's in some other stuff. Mozart in the jungle, I guess, but I've seen her in Mistress Mistress America. So. Yeah, and so she plays the assistant to Zoe Kravitz's main character, who's the actress. Mm-hmm. And not main character, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Um, but so we we watch their kind of friendship over the course of like one night, and then something happens to Zoe Kravitz's character. She's murdered. The assistant is implicated. And from there, we're off to the races where like a sort of traditional noir narrative takes takes hold. And she's trying, like, before she becomes an actual legitimate suspect, she has to find out what happens before, like, everything starts to become nightmarishly out of control. And, like, the movie has, like, a really nice, like, it's 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 stylized 
really nicely. Like it's beautifully shot. And like the, the music has like a quality that isn't part of the sort of like derivative John Carpenter synth score that would normally accompany a movie that kind of look like this. Yeah. Good call. It's, it's got a kind of weird DJ shadow kind of choppy jazz <laughs> quality to it. Um, and so there's, there's just like unique stylistic elements, but in addition to that, the movie has a nice naturalism to the performances mm. that make the kind of like genre moments. Um, it gives it like, I think we've talked about this um, with movies like green room and stuff like that, where there's like, if you take real people and establish them as real people and put them in circumstances that are normally, they're not a part of like harrowing violent circumstances. It's sort of like, adrenalizes it with a brand new kind of like tension. Cause like we're not used to seeing this. So like, because the performances are so kind of naturalistic in this movie, um, you're, you're essentially watching what you feel as a real person, like in a situation where they're trying to get to the bottom of something. And like, you know, they're, they're hiding in a room and they're like trying not to be exposed or the creeping paranoia I was describing, uh, that sort of kind of sets in early in the movie like a, a security light flashing off, uh, you know, at, at a house, like has a kind of like a really haunting quality to it. And there's like just simple realistic things that add thriller elements to like what normally you would need a kind of bigger payoff in order to like hit the cinematic notes typically. Mm. And so I think that that's one thing that uh, Gemini does like really well. It's, it's able to find these like genuine naturalistic, moments of tension yeah you know in in something that's like otherwise a kind of like a nice drifting stylistic narrative there is something really pleasantly like low-key about it even though as you're beautifully pointing out that the tension that is building in as the story goes it's um visually and sonically so strong like the visuals are great um it's got that sort of neon drenched aesthetic that fits with LA perfectly the moody nighttime visuals that that definitely connects it to bad influence as well Um, shooting a lot of rooms at night in LA and things like that the moody shadows Um, but the neonness is that new modern aesthetic that the the one part is it's still refreshing in this movie. It doesn't feel tired even though like the poster in the aesthetic of this movie is like screaming like modern kind of cool cinema right now but it's 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 i like it i really like it and um visuals are great andrew reed is his typical dp um i think he's one element of this that is like stepping up with obviously greater resources this movie looks incredible that score though man by uh it's keegan dewitt who did a very nice completely different score for cold weather has scored some alex ross perry movies like listen up philip and whatnot he's That guy's, yeah, Keegan DeWitt is great and uh, just like his music in general. But yeah, this score for Gemini is like right up there for me with the the, the best thing I've heard score wise from a movie this year. Maybe like Annihilation is close to. I love that score. But yeah. this Gemini, it's like that idea of the score, especially, um, elevates this movie because it's very low key. It has a vibe, it has like a hangout vibe to it that I really loved because it's almost antithetical to what these kind of movies tend to be and it's the only thing that really makes it fit to something like uh the long goodbye which otherwise these movies are quite different and yeah 
Uh, I don't think Aaron Katz has particularly seen that movie as a as an influence. It's just I think that movie's ripple effect is so large and it's its influence right. or its canonization is so like cemented in the culture that it just gets compared a lot. But there is a vibe to this movie that even as the the tension gets ratcheted, the uh, the screws are turned as the the plot t- keeps taking turns, and you're like I liked being. Um, constantly at least for a middle chunk of it like guessing the guessing game effect of the mystery who could it have been who is it what do we know and i think where he gets with the reveal and not going to ruin anything at all it is totally original in terms of this kind of movie from my perspective and then you think about what the movie becomes about in the way you were talking about unsane sort of reveals itself by the end to be something like no you you're not crazy gemini sort of has a similar reveal where you're not crazy, but what what does that mean now? What do we take away from what this is now? And what was a genre mystery, detective murder mystery thing is now more like a, a treatise on like celebrities and friendship and sort of abuse of power in, in those circumstances. And it becomes, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you disagree? I mean, I feel like the, the movie has layers to dig into after it's revealed well, what it is. And I, uh, I, I really liked that about it. Yeah, well, it, again, not we're not going to spoil anything, but I think, if anything, the conclusion is a little bit of a whimper to what it is built up, like, until then. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, it, the naturalism that the movie establishes kind of, like, leads to a sort of shrugging finale. And I was like, what? Like, what? And, and But the movie had built up too much goodwill to, like, let it deflate through what, however it concluded, mm-hmm. unless it concluded like wisdom where he's like, no, I was asleep in a bathtub the whole movie. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, no. I'm really glad um, it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, but like, there is something kind of like, uh, th- there is something kind of unfortunate about, to me, like, about, there's something mumblecore about its conclusion where it's just like, oh, it wasn't a big deal after all. Like, what? What the fuck? Like, it, just sort of like, but I think it is a big deal. That's what I'm getting at with. I guess we're just gonna have to be vague, right? But like, it'd be fun to yeah. get into this, but we just can't, given the fact that the movie's not even totally out yet. But I, I think yes, the reveal and what you find out feels that way, especially given the kind of movie we are led to believe we're watching, and in many ways we still are. It's still a murder mystery, but. Yeah, it lands in a different place. And then the sort of penultimate information, the last 10 minutes or so, I think just opens it up to something else. It becomes a movie about something else that if you compare it to that first uh, third, you you reference the first act of the movie where we follow them hanging out over like 24 hours. We get an idea of, of Zoe Kravitz's um, life and then her relationship with probably the closest person to her life or one of them, um, the Lola Kirk character, who's the assistant. And the the sort of things that get landed on Lola Kirk's lap at the last minute and the shit she has to deal with for her starts to make more sense and has actually more, I think has more um, thematic, I think it has more power by the end or it opens the movie up to other things that like it reveals about that relationship. And um, I kind of loved like even visually the movie becomes bright daylight at that in the last like 10 minutes, it sort of looks completely exposed. Yeah. You're like, you've woken up from this like lurid pulpy kind of nightmare, but this it's more, it's this moody jazzy nightmare you've been in or, or like, you know, just kind of spooky dream thing. And then Uh you're in the sun drenched. Yeah. Like you said, you're exposed. And then the like 
the actual like last shot of um a very familiar thing, a shot in the hills shooting LA, the city. But like I kind of loved how it was like, ooh, this is the Brian De Palma moment. Or for me, it felt like really good era Brian De Palma and in a good way. Um, I, I guess as I say that, I think of a movie like Personal Shopper that we both sort of wished would go for that sort of thing a little bit more. And it's not like Gemini, Gemini is super lurid or uh, intense or more De Palma-esque. It's just that shot felt like it gave me a little something that still felt like it's still in the right wheelhouse, but it's uh, opening the movie up to something else. I, I sort of, as I've sat with the movie, I've liked where it goes in the end more, but I, th- I think I see what you mean. Like there is a whimper to the concluding elements to the way the movie starts to climax. Um, I yeah, think some, I think I think some audiences aren't going to like it. Sorry. There's just something about what a, a film does with an energy that's built. That's like, it's, it's, it's very effectively ratcheting up tension and then it reaches a point And then that tension is kind of like, uh, sidelined. And then the movie just sort of like walks through and doesn't really resolve that tension that's built up. Mm-hmm. There isn't like a, a payoff or relief. And then it just walks through the last 10 minutes and you're just sort of like, I, huh? Interesting. Like it was, but again, like I like the ride so much that um, a conclusion wasn't absolutely necessary unless it was completely upending everything that had been established so far. So like that's that's my only kind of gripe with the movie mm. um, is that like it doesn't really to me, it just doesn't resolve the tension. And like I think that there's because the movie has a kind of weird meditative quality on like a type of movie that, you know, like a type of thriller that doesn't really exist anymore. Like, you know, there's, there are more standard genre elements, which could be just as, you know, like anticlimactic to you. You're like, huh, that's the ending guy just dies and it's over. Uh, That's boring. You know, like, so like maybe there, because there is a kind of meditative quality to this movie, it's ponderous. It's just sort of like sort of eases in and out of uh, like, you know, the camera work is so just like just drifts a lot of the time, like, you know, observing things and there's, there's just something kind of contemplative about it the entire time that maybe that's part of it, that it doesn't have a hard ending the way like a lot of movies that it's kind of, considering do you know like the movies that like go into the movies that have i'm really trying not to use the word influence like i already (laughs) used it too many times so i was like the movies that are informing uh this one so it's like it just seems like a meditation on those movies and so like in a way as much as i have like there there it felt like there was something unresolved in the conclusion it sort of fits the the overall kind of like contemplative vibe of the movie mm-hmm. you know and uh so if you <laughs> oh are, are you fizzling it's no. like you're drifting no. off now no, not no. Really. <laughs> i um fair enough i i guess i was i'm almost surprised i uh, in my mind i thought you well you're just this is just a gripe you're bringing up but because you seem to be like a huge fan of this movie when you saw it last year so maybe no i like i like it a lot i do i and i recommend this movie um uh may, <laughs> I, what i think it might be is that um 
when you te- you texted me about you're like I don't really see what this movie has to do with bad influence, and I took <laughs> bad influence as or I don't see how bad influence has, has any bearing on Gemini whatsoever. And I took that as a weird slight against bad influence. So I was like, okay, Eric, let's fucking go. You yeah. think bad influence yeah. is an inferior movie? Fine. <laughs> well, maybe fight. maybe we do need to get into it and find out. I guess before before we do, I just the last things I want to do almost shout out wise for Gemini is because um, I like it too. I like it a lot, and um, it's not what you're thinking exactly with bad influence. But we'll we'll get into it. But uh, shout outs, dude. Just uh, some other performances. John Cho as the detective in this. Um, Absolutely. However. Mm. Can we just say yes? John Cho is great. Not saying I'm not starting to have a critique for him at all. There is a weird, like the person I saw this with at AFIFS was like, now would they be allowed to make tea in a murder scene? Like, because he he's a detective who makes her a cup of tea while he's he's interviewing her essentially about the murder. Yeah, at the and murder I was like, scene. No, I don't. I don't think you would. I don't think you can like prepare any food or beverage like around a murder scene but it's, it's maybe part of the wrong. vibe joe it's just part of the casual tea making vibe <laughs> <laughs> it's true you're right even the detective who's intense in this movie that's it's like i'm gonna go ahead and make tea you need some chamomile i you look stressed uh yeah okay he, did. he is great just yes given what you said yes um uh dude our our james ransone small role uh, so happy to see him. So happy to see him from Tangerine. He always like, even in this role where he's this scuzzy paparazzi, it's like, he's like um, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Um, that he's one of those kind of uh, camera guy characters that just, oh my God, he's so perfect. It's like, he comes on screen as like, of course you're a guy named Stan that follows a celebrity around with the camera uh, as a paparazzi guy. He's so great. Um, so yeah, love seeing James Ransone. I would love for the day where he gets like a movie like this to lead um he's such a great character actor but uh gosh something where he could lead would be great like if aaron katz gives him a lead role uh would be very exciting anybody um yeah Yeah. those are my shout outs uh the other performance would be greta lee is her name she's Mm -hmm. in an episode of a few episodes of high maintenance which is a really great show on hbo and uh she's the uh maybe potential love interest to zoe kravitz in this movie i don't want to give too much away but she's a substantial character in the film and uh i liked seeing her in a totally different thing than uh i first discovered her which was high maintenance so um yeah i really i really like the eclectic cast um the vibe of the movie but uh yeah, you know, uh, unless I don't want to jump in front of you, but if we can pivot to bad influence, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, let's do it. Bad influence. More than anything else in the world. What do you want? All he ever wanted was a bigger piece of the good life. I think I'd be good for him. Make it happen. Make it happen. Now, he's about to find out that what he wants and what he's afraid of are really one and the same. Now, there's no way out. I didn't make you do anything that wasn't in you already. (laughs) You and I need to talk. No. You're gonna die with your mouth shut. I never showed you how. 
now I'm going to show you. Rob Lowe. James Spader. He got everything he wanted and lost everything he had. Bad influence. I brought up the movie Nightcrawler. Uh, that movie was shot by Robert Ellswit, the DP, who's mm-hmm. done a bunch of PTA movies. And of course, I see his name come up in the beginning credits, the beautiful opening credits of Bad, uh, Bad Influence. He shot that movie for Curtis Hansen. And I love these sort of discoveries when we do when we do hold up uh yeah i'm like oh and it's a movie i hadn't seen this was your recommendation your pick so um i'm gonna let you take it away while you went with bad influence but that was a great great place to start for me where i'm like all right i i love the moodiness of this movie and it's it's almost like a tryout for nightcrawler for robert elswit like what he did here he would do you know many decades later so super cool yeah so i like we discussed why we wanted to talk about bad influence as you know uh for, for this episode and particularly for a, a hold up but you know as you know hold up is a segment where we talk about movies that have made an impact on us and like use the 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 other person as a critical counterpoint to pick apart like the merits of the movie are we lying to ourselves do these movies truly stand the test of time um so, like, this movie came out on my birthday um, and uh, in 1990, and uh, it was one that, like, it, like, it did well. Like, it, it was Curtis Hansen had made uh, Bedroom Window with Steve Gutenberg and was kind of, like, on a, on a Hitchcock kind of kick with these movies, um, at least with these two. And, um, you know, like mid-level thrillers were like they were starting to do well at that time and like this was a movie that uh, you know as it was a sleeper hit i remembered like it getting brought back to main theaters because it was like back by popular demand and it was just like a movie like this you know of this size like that didn't really happen that often so right. it's just like one of, one of the main theaters that i grew up near in cupertino was just like back by popular demand it was like what oh that's crazy and i wound up seeing it in the theater and really being taken by it and being confused by it and scared by it. Um, <laughs> lots of nudity, lots of confusing nudity in this movie. Um, <laughs> but it's essentially, uh, it, it follows um, the, the opening credit sequences, like following Rob Lowe as he basically erases all traces of himself from like someone's life at the beginning of the movie. And then he like vanishes into you know, from an art loft into Los Angeles, you know, just at dawn. And then we're introduced to James Spader's character, uh, Michael, who is a kind of put upon, um, you know, like a, just a, a businessman office worker. Who's like, you know, so stressed that he works himself into like stomach problems. And he meets, Reminded um, me of Griffin Dunn Dunn in after hours, his character. Yeah. Or, you know, like a, like a Ed Norton and fight club. Yeah. Uh, very good. Yes. And, uh, and so they, they meet during a, a confrontation where Rob Lowe manages to spare him from getting beat up by somebody in a bar. And then they, they come across each other later. And like, he's so attracted to Rob Lowe's like, kind of like his, his charisma, his, like his, his ability to just like navigate any situation and they become like fast friends and Rob Lowe essentially is helping him 
kind of access the the parts of his life that he's like too restrained to get to like he's too he's too put upon he's too stressed he's too polite he's just too inhibited overall and so like basically roblo becomes this mephistophelian character is that, is that the right one i think so i think you got it um, who uh who's <laughs> gives him everything he wants at the cost of like you know his soul so he starts to just like unravel james bader's life over the course of like a few days in la where he's you know like for all intents and purposes giving him what he wants getting him out of a engagement he doesn't want to be involved with getting him this woman that he's fantasizing about getting back at like the his coworker. he doesn't you know he has he has spite for and so it's just like He's he's emboldening him, but at the cost of like him becoming like a terrible person. So it's got elements of like Strangers on a Train era Hitchcock, you know, the the sort of bad person like luring something out of like you know the the dark parts of ourselves out of ourselves, you know, and like there's just like that whole negotiation going on. And I just think that like there was something that. Like I revisited this movie a lot after I saw it as a kid and like, it's, it's again, fuck, I have to use the word influence. (laughs) It's like how it informs like the dynamic, um, especially since I mentioned it to you, I was like, this is, it's kind of the proto relationship that's established later on in fight club, you know, where it's like, yeah, here's this kind of loose, you know, this, this figure who can like, is able to sort of navigate any situation and is like the idealized version of one type of man to another type of man. And like how it basically devolves into self-destruction essentially. And like even how they meet, how it's like they meet each other, you know, by chance. And then after one of the characters loses something, he re-encounters him again, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just like Ed Norton's character in Fight Club loses his apartment, comes to like, you know, live with uh, Brad Pitt's character. James Bader loses his wallet, goes searching for it, finds Rob Lowe again. Rob Lowe like kind of coaxes, coaxes him out of his shell and into this sort of like new level of, uh, you know, uh, confidence and, uh, and flamboyance and like, and so all of this like is, is being sort of, you know, investigated and unraveled in like an LA that's like, like you were describing with Gemini, like neon lit and just sort of like nighttime. And just like, there's, there's just like so much that's evocative about it so much that like, after I moved to LA, it was like, I use bad influence as like a reference point where I'm just like, oh, that's there. Oh, those are the oil fields. Oh shit. There's the La Brea tar pits, which you'll remember from miracle mile. Um, nope. So it's just like, hero. <laughs> that's what you think of when you think of the La Brea tar pits. Only because it's the first thing I saw them in, in a movie from my kid memory. And yeah, but that's embarrassing. So it's out there now. Yeah. Just like let them be supplanted by you know Miracle Mile, maybe exactly the much much better one to look back at. Yeah, but um, so yeah, so this is like a movie that like I kept returning to, kept finding like new things to be excited about in new new sort of relevance. How I saw it informing other movies and um and 
Yeah, so let's uh, let's let's hear your your feelings on it. I I feel bad um, uh, because this is maybe one where I'm definitely cooler on it than you. Uh, I I I did not dislike this movie. Trust me there. Uh, I'm not lying to you. I I, I did not dislike this movie. I just, I guess, uh, found as it went along, it sort of just um, got less interesting to me. But I loved the first, well, I was very much invested in, in enjoying uh, the first like two thirds, the setup is so influential on fight. <laughs> Influ- it's it, hard. Se- it's hard. The setup inspires fight. Had to have been some sort of inspiration or some. No, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Chuck Palahniuk is a fan of this movie, right? Like, because yeah. he's the seed of Fight Club. He created the book because the dynamic is so similar, as you pointed out. And I couldn't help but thinking as I started bad influence and watch it was just like oh my god i love the sort of tyler durden vibe it starts in a bar like this where the relationship starts um instead instead of having a fight together he helps him avoid a fight but uh it's all very similar and he's also that rob lowe character gets to be that devil on his shoulder that like there's the line in fight club like i talk like you want to talk i fuck like you want to fuck you know like all that stuff that's what rob lowe brings out of the james spader character yeah and spader is perfect i mean this is like perfect sort of nebbishy character material for him. He's um, very just like, just knows this character. I feel like I love, I love his performance here. And I think Rob Lowe in the first two thirds is very appropriately cast and slimy. Yeah. And he seems to be having fun because I think you're going to know his career at this point better than me, but like he's kind of mm-hmm. coming off of being a, a kid like a teen heartthrob a little bit right so this is him him trying to be a a little more adult correct is is that right yeah well for one it was like a particularly weird moment for him in his career because you're right he he wasn't necessarily like as uh associated with being a teen actor as he was just sort of being like groomed to be a leading man you know because he just like he has that look he's like a you know beautiful young man at this point but he also was just coming off like a videotape sex scandal. So there's like elements oh, of right. this movie uh, that play directly into that, that involve videotapes. Shouts out to sex life and videotape with James Bader. <laughs> Why not? Soderbergh. Um, Soderbergh. <laughs> but I think that like the casting is actually like pretty inspired because James Bader at this point, like he was in, he could be an incredibly effective creep. Like he had been so in like so many movies up until that point, like the new kids, um, which was written by a, a, a Gyllenhaal parent. Um, oh. And he, he was just a sadistic, like, you know, high schooler. And he played again, a sadistic high schooler in pretty in pink and like less than zero. He's like a lizardy kind of like drug dealer. Who's like, seems polite, but is just like a scumbag at his core. And so like, he could play a creep really well. Like, creep in the 80s was james spader (laughs) so the fact that he's cast as like essentially the the hero not the hero but the protagonist like the the main character there's like there's already a tension at work and then to cast like a handsome capable leading man type like rob lowe it was just like the i I think the reversals are really interesting and add like a, a a layer of tension that's like pretty exciting to watch and then seeing, like you said, like seeing Rob Lowe have fun with like, you know, in the initial like bar scuffle where he like pulls James Spader out of like the conflict 
And like the guy says to it, the guy that he's a, a potentially going to fight with says, yeah, what are you going to do? And he just says, let's find out. And he's like, oh shit. Like I would like, I dream to have fucking lines like that that are like <laughs> pretty typical, but also like if you chew them up, like yeah. there's, that's what makes like, you know, legendary line readings. Like let's find out. And he's got that smile and that glimmer of like menace in his face, you know, that like, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, I see that movies like this, you know, like kind of what we're talking about conversely with Gemini, where it's like the, it, it maintains this meditative quality and therefore it doesn't have the big like payoff in the end. Like oftentimes with thrillers like this, because it has to ramp up in the last leg of it, right? it, it departs reality and becomes, you know, like once you find out, you know who the bad person is the entire time with this, but like oftentimes in thrillers, when you find out like, so like, though this is the person they're all of a sudden backloaded with all this like psychology where it's like, no, I'm crazy. Right. And that sort of happens with like Roblo becomes the Uber bad guy. And but I guess he's like, more established though, as you're pointing out, right? Like we know yeah, he's yeah, bad. Yeah, there, there is a difference there. That's a very good point. Actually, that helps me out with understanding the movie a little bit more. I think. Yeah. He's you're watching his kind of like his slip into becoming as menacing as he is, you know? And so, but it still does take on like a conventional thriller, you know, vibe towards the end, which this is what it is. It's a, it's a thriller and it has a great, you know, it has some really great set pieces. Like I said, with the, the videotape stuff, like there's a really actually inventive sequence where you're like, James Spader is being traumatized by what he's seeing on a video. And then a reveal that happens as he's being kind of transfixed by this video is like pretty genuinely startling. Well, you it's, know? The, it's the and, kind of thing Hitchcock would have done if he had access to video technology. I feel like, right. That's where Hanson being such an Uber yeah. Hitchcock, you know, aficionado, he shows up in Hitchcock documentaries all the time, or he did Curtis Hanson, um, RIP. Yeah. Um, I actually want to talk about Curtis Hansen at some point before we're done with, with this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, because, Please. well, maybe we should right now, uh, because, um, it, it occurred to me when I went to rent this movie, bad influence is kind of hard to find. Um, I think it's on iTunes and Amazon though, to stream. Yeah. It's on Hulu and Amazon currently streaming. That's where it is. Hulu, not iTunes. And so, um, those places I found a DVD at my <laughs> video store in Portland. If you got one of those, uh, now, here's where the the thing comes up and it occurs to me, Curtis Hansen just has no respect, Joe. And I think he needs to be respected as at least an auteur, even though I find that word a little, not that great anymore. I'm not as into it, but I don't think this director is respected necessarily because I go to my uh, movie madness, a pretty, a very, you know, sort of famous uh, around here uh, video store that has survived and has an amazing collection. And they section things off there, as you know, and, Often there's a whole section of American Hollywood directors. So naturally I'm looking in the H section because Curtis Hansen has made a ton of movies, a lot of which were very successful. Some that were up for a bunch of awards that won awards and I don't see it. And uh, not to belabor it, when I asked the guy at the store, I go, hey man, don't you have a Curtis Hansen section? He looked at me like he knew who Curtis, he, yeah, he, he's like, I know who Curtis Hansen is, but why the fuck do you think? He deserves a section here at this video store. I could be wrong, but that's what I intuited. And then he helped me find it. And he's like, oh, uh, bad influence. That's in the thriller section, of course. Right. So he gets dispersed all throughout 
movie madness. His movies are everywhere. Yeah. What if I want to find LA Confidential and Eight Mile and uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle or The River Wild? You know, you gotta. It's. I think this guy has responsible for some amazing films, and I, I I'm assuming. I yeah, he's great, right? Yeah, I and we. I think we mentioned him. I don't know if we were on mic at the time, but you know, being like a he, he's he's a career filmmaker, and he's able to sort of like try his hand at a variety of different types of movies the same way Steven Soderbergh can, you know, yes, and like, yes. and he, you know, he's responsible. He's not necessarily a chameleon cause he, there still is like a, a, a identifiable touch to like, you know, stuff that Steven Soderbergh does. And like, maybe that's what they're identifying that Curtis Hansen like can, like, even though his thrillers kind of had like a, a through line from like the late eighties into the early nineties, you know, like you had bedroom window, bad influence, hand that rocks a cradle river wild. And then he started to transition into like other types of movies where he like wonder boys, Ella confident confidential that you mentioned and like eight mile and like some other stuff, but it was just like, He's responsible for like what are, you know, LA Confidential is arguably a masterpiece. You I know? think it and is. Like, Definitely one of the best movies of the nineties, I think. Yeah. Oh. And so like if you have somebody who's made a masterpiece, like, doesn't that warrant like having their own section? Like Michael Mann has his own section, like and what like and you can probably identify one of his movies as a masterpiece, but he's got a flawed filmography as well, you know, like and I wouldn't even argue that Curtis Hansen has a flawed filmography. It just has a diverse one, you know? It's kind of like a Jonathan Demme type character, director, right? Like applies yeah. the style that needs to go to this story so he can make something moody and Hitchcocky and like bad influence. Um, but but then he makes 8 Mile, which, you know, at the time I really liked. I That might be, have to be a future hold up for me because I have not gone back to it since it came out. But I have a feeling that movie might not be... Have we talked about this? I think we have. I feel like that movie might not hold up. And I'm desperate to like re-examine it at the right time. I don't know. What yeah. you think? No, I, I, I think you should, you should pick it because it's still good. Like, Interesting. I think it, okay. it's okay. very like... It was a very like smart, smartly executed film. Like, because it, it focused on a point in time that was like... It, it wasn't trying to capture what hip hop was at the moment. It was focusing on like, all right, this is 1995. This is a period piece. And right. it came out in 2002, which to make a period piece about <laughs> a period that was seven years prior is like pretty interesting, you know, similar to like what three Kings did, right. you know, like the Gulf war only like seven years prior to it. And so like, it just, it gets all the details like pretty spot on, you know? And like, and it's essentially, I mean, I'm a sucker for this movie because it's essentially the karate kid with rap music. So <laughs> it is with rap music in Detroit, which sets designs itself surrounded by like all the period appropriate rap music from 1995. Uh, I'm in. So and, like, and Eminem is legit great in the movie, you know, like he's, yeah. he's very good. And, um, I really liked, uh, Brittany. What was that actress's name from? Brittany Murphy. Oh, so RIP for her as well, man. Very sad. Um, but, yeah. uh, that build up in that movie, Eight Mile, is so well yeah. done in my memory. Like the feeling of like what Karate Kid does for you when, when like you can I can remember feeling watching Karate Kid of like I can take on the world after this movie, you know? 
it it has that triumph um, even though eight mile yeah i don't know we don't doesn't have to be a whole discussion on eight mile it's just like that i remember the movie fondly i've just been scared to go back to it so it sounds like a perfect hold up and it it just might have to come up at some point i guess i guess we're not done with curtis hansen is what we're saying well yeah he was like he just knew how to craft like moments incredibly well and even though bad influence is one that's like young like he was he was young when he made it and it's like it's a young film like there's still is just like a sense of like building moments so like effectively and like he it was just something that he always did well you know that like he would have like an incredible payoff and like re-watching LA Confidential not that long ago just like the sense of like the, how the scenes paid off. It was so just like, good. Jesus, they don't make movies like this anymore. Like, and you know, like that was, it was 20 plus years ago at this point, but it, you know, just like the sense of like, like building a scene, building characters and like, and having, it's hard to watch Kevin Spacey now, but like, you know, yeah. Kevin Spacey is like outstanding in that movie and just seeing like some of his best scenes and how he's like, how, how smart the writing is and how well it pays off. It's just like Curtis Hansen's always been, he's always been, you know, a jack of all trades in that sense. You know, the thing about LA confidential too, is that people were saying that when it came out in 1997, like they don't make movies like this anymore. You know, it was right. like, this is like Chinatown, but also it had a classical feel to it of a classical Hollywood era. And, yeah. um, it's timeless in that way. And that movie really is, that's what makes it a masterpiece because like you go, uh, did you see it in a theater by chance? Did you get to like, I did. Oh, I'm I did. so jealous, man. A print of it. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, cause it came out in 1997. There was no DCP. Right. Oh, I, I just mean when you saw it recently, didn't you say you revisited? Oh no, no, no. Yeah. I saw it at home recently. It's playing actually at the Egyptian next month. Ooh. And I'm pretty sure it's not, it's not a print, but, uh, I'd go. Yeah. Either way. Like, that's that's a that's a shame. But when I initially saw it, yes, it was a print. And I saw it multiple times in the theater. Me too, man. And I remember that's when I started like getting a little too invested into the Oscars at that time. And I remember being like, maybe it could beat Titanic. And then it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> Nothing's gonna beat Titanic. And that and that's okay, you know. Brian Helgelin, I think, won the script Oscar for that movie. And then, you know, yeah. Kim Kim Basinger very deservingly won an Oscar. And she was kind of, I feel like, never really taken that seriously as an actor. And she's so great. And it's like the role she was born to play is Veronica Lake lookalike. And um, right. I, ah, Curtis Hansen, if for nothing else, like it, the guy deserves his own damn section. If, if I, if we had a video store, he'd, he'd have his own section is what we're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And on a sticker on the box would say Joe recommends bad influence. <laughs> well, uh, I don't want to belabor it. Cause I feel like we're wrapping up, but I, I, I want to just give you something, give you something because I know I, Maybe I wasn't as into this movie as we hope when we do these revisits, but something I really found original and interesting in this movie, Joe, was the brother relationship between James Spader and the actor Christian Clemenson. I looked up his name um, because I've seen that guy in other stuff. Um, and I really liked it because it's they're they're each a character type that we're familiar with, but the dynamic between them 
doesn't occur to my memory in a lot of movies, whether it's thrillers like this or just in general. And yeah. it has it has an oddball sort of like honesty to it, like the one brother's sort of the fuck up and he just smokes pot all day. And James Spader being this corporate sort of put upon drone can at least be better than his brother and it adds to the dynamic. But then they have this yeah. loving like the as goofy as the last third got for me as it really just leaned into the thriller uh psycho stuff, like more outre elements. Um, what mm-hmm. kept it grounded or worked for me was the brothers coming together, like the way that paid off. I really liked yeah. that in this movie. And you know, that's the kind of thing that would let me give this a shot. If, if it was playing at a cool theater in town, I would probably go try to see this one in, in theaters and see it that way. Cause um, I like those elements. So throw it yeah. there, there. You go. <laughs> yeah. He was like, he's definitely like a really interesting performance like in, in the movie. And he like, he, he brings something out of the main character that I think is just really smart that like you could have just had the character be on his own trying to figure it out, but like bringing the brother in just like it dimensionalizes everybody else, like through the introduction of the brother. And like, I I think that like it being such a like unique and kind of uh, and genuine performance from the actor, like it's just, it's, it's, you know, just shows that like Curtis Hansen knows a good script and uh, you know, well, I miss him. Yeah. Well, we hope, we hope people can find this movie um, for sure. Uh, as we hope they do if, at least, you know, if any of you, cause it feels like we are wrapping up here now. Um, mm-hmm. And why don't we, what do you say? Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So just chill to the next episode. If anybody wants to, reach out to us and let us know that you saw bad influence. We're always curious about if anybody actually attempts to see these movies or, um, you know, whether you like these hold up, uh, discussions because we really like doing it. And, um, you know, friend of the show, fellow podcaster on the playlist network, Ryan Oliver loves the hold up section. Octa Kozak, uh, host of over under movies, like love always is very complimentary, but I'd love to know, uh, if uh, any listeners are out there that make it this far, let us know if you see it and, uh, you could you could email us those thoughts at adjustyourtracking at gmail dot com. Um, people could find us on Facebook. Although I don't know about you, Joe, I'm definitely feeling like phasing out the Facebook, given not just what's in the news about it lately, but uh, yeah, I, still, I don't use it anymore. And I, I don't know, are you using it much anymore these days? No, I mean it's just a compulsive check in thing. But it's just like yeah. I, don't, I don't find any sort of like I'm never thrilled. I'm never really engaged with what's going on in it. It's just a compulsion. Yeah. I, it's sort of similar for me where I check in and then I'm really just using it to post new episodes of the podcast. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is I might be on there less and might post less on there for the podcast. So if you really rely on that as your feed for the show, follow me on Twitter, it's still at adjust your track. So you'll get all your AYT stuff. But if you want to communicate with us, at um, uh, communicate us about anything with the podcast, email us again at adjustyourtracking uh, at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, but we might not see it because we might not be there anymore. And that just might be the way it needs to be. So um, if you do any of that, what's that? You can find us on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. No, no, no. no. Um, okay. so yeah, you know, if you find us at all, if you like the show or if you just want to like, let us know what you think, uh, we'd be very appreciative. Um, of course I'm appreciative talking to you, Joe, but you know, I can't be super thankful until I finish my cornrows before we, uh, you know, before I go to bed tonight. So I got some work to do uh, once we get off mic. Yeah. I won't quote bad influence to you, but my favorite line. So uh, we'll just say, uh, thanks Eric. <laughs>